Sometimes you don't know a shitcoin until you're uh, until you already invested in it. But sometimes it's too late. But you gotta you gotta remain objective. If you how, would, how do you know if you invested in shitcoin? Look at portfolio. Red shitcoin. Get rid of it. <laughs> Green good. Buy more. Hey, hey, what's up? And welcome to the new episode of the Crypto Basic Podcast. We're having a roundtable discussion today. I'm here with the full team. I'm Brent. I'm here with Kareem. Yo. And Mike. What up, people? And this morning was a little bit interesting for me. Our roundtable episodes are specific topics that are loosely related to cryptocurrency, sometimes not even a little bit related to cryptocurrency, but most of the time they're related. So if you want to check those out, you can always go look at our episode archive and look at our roundtable episodes. So I woke up this morning at literally the crack of dawn. I mean, 9 a.m., something that I don't even do for, you know, for food. And the the topic on hand, and I can't wait to see how we get to this. So to be fair, I didn't do a whole lot of research on this. We're doing a roundtable on disruptive technology, organized religion, and cryptocurrency. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to tie these three together, but I am interested to see where this goes. Brent, you just got to have a little faith in us, man. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there, Mike. I uh, got to have faith. Very All right. good. So which, which one of you was responsible for coming up with this topic? I was more the one that introduced the topic. Um, the ideas kind of floated around in my head for a reasonable amount of time. And, you know, we see this when trying to discuss, you know, price movements and people that are that are traders. And we remember the crypto nicks of the world from YouTube, et cetera. Like a lot of these subcultures within the crypto community are driven by faith and belief and a lack of evidence. And in a lot of ways, trying to change the opinion of somebody who is invested since ICO becomes increasingly more difficult over time. There's a lot of connections there. We've talked about a lot of the cognitive, cognitive biases that can be involved here. But I think that you know, more and more as we looked into this space, I'm seeing just so much like hard driven beliefs on things they've been, you know, told and things that are just being discussed. And I just feel like people are sipping the Kool-Aid a little too frequently. And, and I don't necessarily know that that's exactly always wrong, but just know and be objective about what you're listening to, who the biases are, the people, and hopefully the listeners can maybe take a step back and maybe understand that they might have some of their own of these, you know, situations that are going on in their own crypto opinions. Yeah, I, I have to admit, when Mike first presented the topic, we we're trying to come up with a roundtable discussion. And Mike initially mentioned the idea of religion and the blockchain. And it seemed like something that was going to be hard to connect at first. But, you know, usually one of the things we do is we start looking around if we're debating, you know, we're discussing a topic. And we found a bunch of articles that referenced different um, connections, let's say, that between the organizing of religion, actual religions being put in the blockchain, as we're going to lead in with here, um, you know, the structures. Uh, and and we also found an article that kind of inspired the episode, which was uh, titled uh, Disruptive Technology and Organized Religion. It was just a short paper that talked about um, something that the Vatican was trying to do. So, 
it's just going to be interesting as we discuss. I know we all have pretty strong opinions on religion. Uh, I'm, my you guess might. is people who listen to the... Yeah, I know Brent does too, for sure. So yeah. that's what. That's also why I was like, okay, this is going to be a spirited conversation. And then I told Mike, I was like, you know what? I think that that topic of yours is going to have... Uh, Pretty good. Uh, pretty it's good. Pretty interesting that I'm the least opinionated on a religion of a group of three. That seems pretty rare. Yeah, but this is a pretty specific group. I agree, and that's yeah. why we're here <laughs> recording. Um. All right. So why don't I kick us off with this article? We're gonna look. This is one of the first ones. Just to put it on there. Um. Here's the title, guys. There's now a religion based on the blockchain. Yes, really. So right off the bat. What do you guys think? We now got religion on the blockchain. Any first thoughts? Satoshi Nakamoto. I, no, here's my first thought. The, this so this is this sounds like the new ICO. You know, like the, the, every every time you read like about a new ICO, you're, they're like, "All oh, right, it's they do a Mad Lib with whatever the item is, and then at the end, it's put on blockchain." <laughs> so, so this is religion. This is what they came up with for their noun, but on blockchain <laughs> instead well, of like. You, this is pens on blockchain. You guys are going to have a little bit of familiarity with the person that started this project. So it turns out that this is Matt Lisson, who is the former CEO of Augur. And apparently he had a very contentious um, way in which he left Augur. I don't know exactly if he was forced out or fired. Real Mike, quick, uh, when we discussed Augur, we, dis- we discussed they were the very first ICO on Ethereum. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I think familiar. they were like the first popularized one for sure. Like, I don't remember any other coins using Ethereum for an ICO before Augur. So, so and, and it's at least a few years old at this point, right? It's very, yeah, it's yeah. one of the earlier projects. Right. For so sure. it's not it, initially it, when I would read something like that, former CEO of this starting new project, religious based, that could be some red flags. But I'm going to just let you go into a little more detail here because they have such a long history that there's going to be more likely to be some situations no, look, of discussion. No question. And of course, we're all we're going to share the same red flags. We're talking about somebody starting what it sounds like is that they're starting a religion on the blockchain, which, of course, does not. <laughs> it sounds kind of scammy, of course. Uh, so but here's where it got interesting is I read a little bit more. The the the. Name that he gave it is 0x Omega. And it's the number zero, a little x, and the Greek symbol for Omega. And at the beginning, I really didn't like it. He had this big meeting where he distributed 40 hard copies of something called the Flame Paper, which I guess is kind of like their Bible. And it's supposed to talk about how it functions. Uh, the burning book. Uh-huh. Now, here's a direct quote. Oh, it's a bush. From, here's a direct quote from Liston. It's a religious framework that could allow for belief sets to update much more quickly and also to democratize the relationship between membership and convergence and what everyone believes in this religion. AKA, the fundamental idea here, guys, is really that with blockchain, uh, we can eliminate the need for faiths to be governed by a central authority. And now, all of a sudden, this project, I'll admit, like, this is not. My ideal project, of course, because uh, I come from a secular worldview. But religion is does exist and will continue to exist for a while. And there's an old saying, right, that perfect is the enemy of the good. And I think that this is an example where, yeah, perfect would be, okay, yeah, no religion or whatever, and we just think logically or whatever you want to see. But 
in the real world where religion exists, wouldn't we prefer for major world religions to be democratized, not governed by a single guy in a suit somewhere, where listener, where practitioners get to see where their money's being spent, all that kind of stuff? Like, wouldn't then religions be probably better than they are today? Uh, a couple things. I, I think the name's pretty cool. The zero uh, X, you know, comes from the Ethereum side. You know, all the addresses start with zero X. That's pretty interesting. Um, so, did you get from this that it, they he's trying to make this more of like a platform for all religions? That yeah. so there weren't a lot of details, but that's exactly the vibe that I got. That he's not really starting a religion, and that's why anytime somebody called him like a prophet or anything, he was like, no. But what he wants is like, hey, why don't we have a way? It kind of like instead of organizing yourself as a nonprofit, maybe you can organize yourself as a blockchain and you could have all the benefits and additions that a blockchain has with membership, with whatever. And it's just an organizational technique or a way to democratize it or a way to get people to vote on what, where do you want us to spend the money? Should we get another? Oh, a treasury system would be great inside most churches that, and especially if all the members could vote on it, if there was a way to see, you know, a more efficient way to see how much money was going into the offerings, et cetera. You know, everybody has different beliefs, but a lot of these are um, faith-based and they're trust-based. And, you know, when we have a trustless system in place for that, that seems very beneficial. Also, they could tithe your transactions. If you enable a smart contract, like like 1% of every transaction you make just goes to the tithe. That's well, every <laughs> block that's created, I'm sure, is getting a piece is going to the treasury. Well, that's just, no, this, is, this isn't a coin. This is just like on Ethereum. So yeah, it might. It, don't forget it. Yeah, it might not have any mining or anything like that. It just might be structured a different way. But it could be it delegated proof of stake. It could. It's a side chain. Like anything's possible. <laughs> Mike's like, where's the business, bro? Where's the business? <laughs> I'm just think I like, I don't know. But listen, Mike, at this point is relevant. There have been studies that show the article specifically points out and links to studies that show people are going to be more generous is if they know exactly where their money is going. And this makes perfect sense to me. I know I've experienced this myself in my life. If I'm going to give money, I don't want it to like, I have no clue is this going to go to some company, some political thing? Like, is this actually going where you're telling me it's going to go? And if you're certified that, it, yes, 100%, that's where it's going to go. You can be certain. Then you're more likely to donate more and do more good. So this could be a good uh, loop. Do you, you got something, Brett? Yeah. Imagine if we had the blockchain for the original Bible and it wasn't rewritten 1,600 years after it was supposedly taken place. Imagine what it would look like. It would be amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure we can preserve records now without the the blockchain. <laughs> yeah, but like they can always just edit those records if they want, and then you know right. we who knows what our what our pope will do or whatever. You never. Yeah, one of the reasons I ended up on this topic was I was watching a John Oliver piece that was tackling religion as a scam in general. And one of the things that it kept bringing up were these like – and I I knew that these kinds of people probably existed. But you know, seeing the examples of them in your face was pretty brutal with these televangelists that are basically oh completely God. scamming people. They're bullying people into sending them money continuously. And he basically like exposed several of the largest you know people that are doing that and really it just it, it did remind me of some of the ways i've seen people discuss crypto and that's probably where most of my motivation for this came from and yeah i would really like these people that are just blind believers you know obviously 
there's probably very little chance of saving the exact individuals. However, if we could set the future up uh, so that it's a little safer for everybody else, that the people that are going to, you know, fall into these categories of over generous and easy to confuse. I'd rather them just have much safer and responsible places to be generous and to be, you know, part of a community. Yeah. And look, so now you're really touching into one of the deep reasons why um, I'm not a fan of religion, which is, you know, I think it it's more of a spectrum. Like a lot of these people, maybe they're not so easy to confuse, but they have been brought up to believe or or basically your life leads you to such a way that you just have certain blind spots for like certain areas where logic or reason or a lot of these things aren't supposed to apply. So my criticism of religion in general is that any system of thought which encourages you to not think critically creates weaknesses in your ability to think critically and to recognize threats and stuff like that. So I... You know, I can't. I cannot prove this. I haven't seen a direct study or anything like that. But I would venture to guess that the more susceptible you are to mystical belief, whether or not it involves religion, also that would apply to New Age things like astrology or anything like that, which is not necessarily an organized religion, but it's believing something just because it's old and ancient, but with no scientific evidence or proof. I would say that those people are more likely to fall for scams, cheats, and things of that nature than somebody who doesn't believe in those things because they've been trained to think of those things from a critical perspective. Like, can this be true? Does it obey physical laws? Things things of that nature. So, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a very fundamental thing, you know. And like I said, it's not just with organized religion. It's any system of belief that discourages you from thinking critically. That could even be a cult. It, I, while I was doing the little bit of research that I was able to do for this one, there was a great little, uh, there was a great quote. Now, I'm wondering, now that we're talking about religion and the blockchain, we're talking about this guy from Augur. The the quote, that, and I like this quote, was, and I don't know who it's from. It, it was in a subreddit. I saw it, and they didn't know who it was from to attribute it to, but I've heard it before. And I, so I'm wondering, actually, if you guys know where this is from. But the quote is, the difference between a cult and or, or sorry, in a for to illustrate the difference between a cult and religion, in a cult, there's one guy at the top who knows it's a scam and fools everybody anyway. In a religion, that guy is dead. <laughs> so, so everybody's still alive for crypto, right? Like we got, uh, we we got our, uh, you know, we got this. He's still alive, so this is well. You know, I can certainly think of at least one of our listeners that's going to point out. That when it comes to a more decentralized religion, like for example Hinduism, that that's true. There wouldn't was necessarily no... fully describe the phenomenon the phenomenon that we are seeing. So, and that's more... the first time I've heard Hinduism referred to as decentralized. I know, no, I got that from him. I got that from Degenerate Brahmin, but it was a super interesting comment. Oh, oh okay, yeah, never mind. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I, yeah. It, well, it makes perfect sense because Hinduism is not. There's no central figure to that at all. So that. It's a perfect way to think about it, but I never thought about it that way. Yeah. But also, I think we can't just reduce religions to saying like, okay, there's a guy at the, at the top scamming, right? Like, it is <laughs> more death and complex than that. <laughs> Not to print. Wow. Not, so, the, I, have an, I have an interesting, like, well, I don't know, whatever, life of religion. So, you, you were talking about religion, and you were talking about how people, you know, end up religious. But the, the number one thing that, that causes that is... 
what your parents' religion was. So it's not like people go on a quest for thought, find a religion that they like, and then stick with it for the most part. They, for the most part, they just do what they're told. And, and the reason there's that gap in logic is because it's been what you've known from the day that you were born, right? So you can have a very logical person that is, that is religious because they're like, I don't know if you remember, did, did both of you have Santa Claus when you were growing up? We had a different version, but <laughs> <laughs> actually, you're gonna really get a kick out Please, of this. <laughs> yes, yeah. For, so, for in Colombia, it's baby Jesus, little baby Jesus is the one that put brings that in the presents. front, please. Yeah, <laughs> and and in Puerto, like in Puerto Rico, is the three wise men that saw Jesus. That's who brings them presents. Interesting. Yeah. Very very. very we true all get story, presents, though. True story. Well, I had to well, break. I had to break the tooth fairy belief for my daughter recently, and like, I was really disappointed it lasted this long. But like, when it comes to kids, man, it's really hard to just kind of break their spirits. Now, uh, all right, so think about this. Think about when you thought Santa was real, or little baby Jesus, or the three wise men were real. The the logical hoops that you had to jump through when you saw a couple things didn't make sense. You know, for me, it's like, really, Santa like only ate some of the cookies why wouldn't he eat all the cookies but it was because your parents would leave a little bit of the cookie to make it look like santa ate them rather than just take get rid of them right but for me i was like who the fuck eats only a little bit of a cookie that that's so and and then they would leave it and why is santa's letter always in dad's handwriting but like you skip over that stuff for a little while until you're like hold on you don't know what you don't know what you're looking for yeah and then so you look the other way on a lot of this stuff that doesn't make a ton of sense and then eventually, your authority figure tells you, sorry, we were lying to you the whole time. We got you. Or they decide you're old enough. And they're like, all right, you're old enough now. So we're going to tell you that this is wrong, that, that we've been lying to you. So that never happens with a religion. So it's like it, those those jumps in logic are going to continue because they've been there since before you could remember existing. And they've so, been covering them up for a while. Or they've been trying to explain them in their own ways for a long time. Oh, they're very broad explanations in in uh, in a lot of religions. Like if you go to the point where you can question them, you just got to have faith. So it'd be interesting to to see somebody try to tell you, oh well, you know that religion didn't really mean that specifically when they said that, and they're like, well yeah, but here on Ethereum, it says right here in this block that uh, that that's exactly what they meant actually. <laughs> you know, and I think another angle, guys, is that there's a big group of people where. So you know how we've talked about that interesting thing where just taking the passive option is what most people do, right? Like uh, how how just by changing, do you want to donate organs or not, the participation mm -hmm. rate changed by like 90% or right. something? It just depends on how easy you make the path. Yes. Well, right. So, But what, what I was going to say with that is that there's definitely groups of people who become very passionate about their faith, just like there's a small group of people who become, let's say, seekers, right? That they're so interested in finding something that they pursue another faith or they end up, you know, learning a lot about life and all that stuff. But there's a lot of people that are born into a faith. They don't like swallow it and accept it whole cloth. But they, it's just not a priority for them to think about it. And I've really encountered these people where, like, you know, adults, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, you talk to them and, oh, you know, whatever XYZ incongruency in their faith is not something that they've really thought about before or paid a lot of attention to. And if you press them on it, if you said, wait, do you really believe this and this and this? They'd probably be like, 
No, you know, now that you mention it, I I, I really don't. But ho- big picture overall, I believe in God just like everybody else. And I'm, I guess I'm technically a Christian. Sure. I don't go to church every Sunday or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like the passive option where you, unless you made it a priority in your life to find what you want to believe, you're just kind of passively following along the religion that's been passed down to you without necessarily like believing every bit of it. So because of that, what, like, what do you think, um, like where you, like, I guess I didn't catch the first part. Where were you going with that belief? Well, that, that I'm saying that we have so many people that will like, you know, we're just talking about the example, you know, you, you're brought up with this system. You have these areas that you're taught not to question, but I'm saying there's also just a lot of people that it never really comes up. They're not religious enough or passionate enough about finding their spirituality where like doing that whole journey in either into another religion or out of religion, it's just not something that they embark on because they're doing other things with their life, right? So I'm saying you could live an entire life being part of a religion, never really questioning it, but never really taking it too seriously. And that's probably like a really big group of people. It's just like the default answer. <laughs> they just didn't check the box. <laughs> it didn't matter how the question was phrased. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to rope this in a little bit because... I'm not going to lie. I didn't see religion on the blockchain happening at the beginning of this episode. I thought we were going to compare some of the communities to a uh, religious community when we got this episode going. Looking at this outline, it looks like that might be what Mike's about to do next. So, indeed, I'm going to rope us in back to the crypto podcast. And we're going to go we're going to go to Mike and we're going to talk about what he's got going on here with Operation Dragon Slayer. Yeah, and I, I had to do a little bit of research on this because I remembered this event happened, but the details were a little fuzzy on me. So look, we're going to recap this a little bit. Operation Dragon Slayer was the conspiracy theory from the Bitcoin Cash community as their you know big attempt last November to try to have the flipping happening where they were hoping if they timed some things right that we're going to get into in a second, if they timed everything correctly then hopefully they could cause a huge shift in the community to go away from Bitcoin and more competitively to the Bitcoin cash. So how were they going to do this? Well, their goal was Bitcoin was going to increase the difficulty for the algorithm. So the ability to mine and have your mining computers pointed at Bitcoin was about to be much more difficult. The profitability of it was about to be much more difficult. Now, remember, this was part of Bitcoin's run up. That last November is when it started to reach the, the new all time highs into December. So when that was happening, they decided to increase the difficulty of the algorithm. When that happened, Bitcoin Cash was going to be approximately 3x to 4x more profitable to mine. So the the conspiracy was if there's enough collusion in place, they could... Now, Kareem, we've talked about this a lot, how much actual mining power Bitcoin has compared to other things. This was a little bit more of a contentious time. There wasn't quite the dominance that you know it has had at other points, I believe that might be a an opinion, but I believe that's where this was at that point. And the goal was if they colluded in a correct manner and sent enough of the mining power from Bitcoin itself to Bitcoin Cash, then they believe that the price could potentially flip flop and you know in market cap, and then they could potentially uh, 
begin their journey as the one true Bitcoin. Now, we've talked a lot about this. This is a very complicated situation. And in my opinion, both sides are extremely religious. They're dogmatic. And, you know, this is a conspiracy that I don't know how likely this was, but it's a really interesting problem that, you know, crypto has right now. And as long as <clears throat> and as long as people are so divided on a topic such as two of the top, you know, five cryptos, then I think the future is going to be very murky for the for the scientists and the researchers of this space that really want, you know, some some unity and some understanding for the future. I want to before we continue, I want to there's a word to use and we've used it before. But because of this episode, I want to actually lay down the definition of this word. It's dogmatic. So you use dogmatic. I looked up definition of dogmatic, uh, uh, dogmatism. I almost didn't use that word for the record. <laughs> yeah, no, it, but it, it applies 100%. Like it is the exact word that describes specifically the Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash situation a lot of times for a lot of the people that you talk to with it or any crypto. In just think, I'm going to read this phrase and think about how many different people you've met in your crypto space that are going to apply this is going to apply to them even though it does have a religious undertone normally when you talk about like the movie dogma fucking awesome movie by the way it's great um have you have you guys seen that no you need to see dogma i'm going to explain that in a second okay uh so dogmatism is the tendency to lay down principles as incontrovertibly true without consideration of evidence or opinions of others to the contrary. So that really does describe a lot of who you run into, a Bitcoin maximalist, Bitcoin cash maximalist, or I don't know if that's what you call them, but the the people who pick their coin and they're just like, ah, and they go, that is a very uh, accurate. Well, let's even make that a little broader. You know, Kareem and I have both shared the same opinion recently that like, we keep coming on realizations that, man, like this Ethereum thing is going to be big. Like that's an example, I think, of us slowly generating more faith in Ethereum over its competitors. And, and I think that it's kind of natural when you're like analyzing these things. We're so far literally removed and there's so much trust that we have to put into these networks of things we truly don't understand. I, As much as I record on this show, I don't fully understand all the intricacies of blockchain. I just don't. So there's a lot of faith that I have to put in to certain communities when you invest and you know this is this is a particular community that we're dissecting the bitcoin cash and bitcoin that you know it's it's just still complicated and i'm not sure where it's gonna go all right so i'm gonna tie this into another article or this was uh, like a little summary that i found that really touches on what you guys are discussing right now so the title was in ones and zeros we trust question mark money religion and Bitcoin. It's a small paper. It's actually, it was actually the summary of a larger paper, but obviously we didn't have time to get into that, you know. But basically, they start talking about how, if you think about it, money and faith have actually been interconnected for a long time, and they have a lot to do also with consumption. So it's you know, they talk about how you can have a shared belief in stock prices, which can change. You could have a shared belief in the value of gold. Um, you know, then you have more, a little bit more than just faith when it comes to institutional, but it's still faith in those governments, faith in those systems when you believe in the, you know, currency of a country. Uh, and the point that they made is recently, most modern money, probably with the exception of gold, is created by the state and legitimized by banks. 
and what they're saying is that with blockchain, what you see is the possibility of money becoming more of a pluralistic entity where it's not just coming from the state. And then they give the example of Bitcoin and they talk precisely about that trust and faith and that Bitcoin takes trust to a different level because in some ways we know less, right? We don't know the name of the creator. Like we talk about that guy at the top, you know, who always oh, he did. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't know. We don't have to believe in people because the, the researchers that wrote this who are at York University, they were asking people about where they have faith, where they don't have faith. And the ultimate conclusion, which I know we share, is people have more faith in code than they do in people. We, the al algorithmic code of Bitcoin and the neutrality that's involved with it is something that it's easier to put your faith in than people and their errors and their judgments. And we have our own version of that whenever we're trying to make a decision and we're trying to make it fair. What's the immediate answer when the three of us want to do something that's fair? Oh, random. Because the algorithm of randomness is something that none of us can manipulate and is completely independent from uh, our emotions and stuff like that. So blockchain and cryptocurrency do have the potential to change the way people interact with money because their faith isn't being placed in other people. It's being placed in code and systems. It, and uh, like like the Ledger Nano has that uh, phrase on it that is, that's been like at the core of... Uh, of the crypto community for a while. I tried to buy a pair of sunglasses with this phrase on them, but I couldn't get the last two uh, letters on there. They're too long. So I never didn't buy them, but the, the phrases and numerous veritas, which means truth in numbers or strength in numbers. Sorry. <laughs> strength in numbers. No, no truth. I think truth. No, in it's strength, strength in numbers. Uh, it, I, it, <laughs> veritas is true. No, it was, ah, damn it. I'm, I'm getting that wrong. Google Brent. Keep going. No, it there, I might be. Uh, I mean, oh no, ah, I'm, I'm saying it backwards. I'm so stupid. I'm confusing the wine thing with the fucking numbers thing. It's it's uh, virus and numerous is what's on the uh, uh, what's what's on the ledger. And <laughs> I'm so dumb. Okay, what does that mean? It, that means strength in numbers. <laughs> mm. Sorry, I just recognized Veritas. So I was like, I'm pretty sure that means truth. Yeah, I mean, uh, but, when yeah. we have been critical of communities, one of the things that we do is we we theorize, you know, when we talk about EOS, we we have to kind of reach, we have to make assumptions, we have to make guesses. And, you know, we tell you guys that, yeah, this is based on our educated guesses, or this is our opinions. You know, we definitely try to qualify those things. But when crypto is involved, there's a lot less ways that we can go. Our creativity is extremely restricted because... Of the points of failure, the checks and balances that exist within the blockchain. So that actually eliminates a lot of our ability to theorize a lot of our, you know, if we want to have a negative take on something, that's going to restrict it in some ways. Same way is if we want to have a positive take, it's going to restrict that because the, there's more rules set in place to govern how that situation is handled. Faith, faith is like, faith is extremely Interesting, and I think faith is something that the three of us are not interested in. We we do have a little bit of faith in some things, but in every scenario, we go try to prove that that faith is not misplaced, right? So we're talking about having faith in money. We're talking about having faith in the people that back the money, the countries that back the money. What we're doing is, okay, here's the person who is responsible for this coin, Rather than just have blind faith that they're going to do the right thing and we're going to follow them, why don't we go look up 
whether they are these things that they claim to be. Why don't we go investigate this? Why don't we go do our research? Why don't we go prove the faith? And that's something you're not going to find a lot of people do in, um, I guess, well, one religion, it, it, you just have faith. But two, a lot of the pseudoscience stuff that you'll see uh, pop up on Facebook, you'll see people tell you about how great acupuncture is uh, or, 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 you know, or whatever. They, they have the faith that it worked or whatever because of the placebo effect, but they didn't like go look up, well, how does this work? Why does it work? Is this a thing? Yeah, and I think that it's, in addition to, for example, making a judgment call about the management team and checking up on them, I think that once you take a skeptical nature and you say, listen, we all have to be inwardly skeptical. You have to establish systems that keep your bias in check. So it's basically like not only are you judging the people, of course, but I'm also judging how much trust they're asking me for. The more trust that a project is asking for, the more skeptical I am the more that a project establishes outward boundaries on themselves. So let's say, for example, when somebody hires an external company to audit their code. Let's say, for example, when somebody makes everything open source so that people can study it and try to attack it. When somebody, they can do all of these things that essentially say, we're totally fallible, we're going to make mistakes. It's We're not saying trust us because we're so good. We're saying, look at our system is designed. Um you know, in the blockchain example, I know I'm a big fan of Cardano, but this is one of the reasons because I feel like when it comes to formal methods, when it comes to outside <laughs> audits, I like what they're doing. So I believe in the process without having to know the individual people. But to take it outside of blockchain, take it, for example, in politics, support whatever side you support, have whatever policies you have, right? I, for example, believe that one of the biggest issues is corruption. I can either trust or have faith that a candidate is going to not be corrupt, but I find that to be counterintuitive because it misses the systemic problem. So for a candidate to earn my faith, they have to say, I will not take any corporate PAC money ever. I don't take any of it because the moment I take some of it, I'm a human and I will become, you know, obviously attached to it. So you can create systems that show people you don't need to trust me because I'm showing to you that you don't have to trust me the system's in place i I need to stop you there for the (laughs) listeners you can't see this but kareem while he was kind of there talking about politicians he did the bernie sanders point like there's a very clear way that bernie sanders points when he talks and kareem did exactly that i i just want to point that out all right keep going that was it i guess (laughs) when he does the he does the thing where he's going like this when he talks. Like he's I, I don't know, I guess it's like he was he was so boring to watch talk that I watched what he did with his hands and that was one of the things. Like anyway, yeah. <laughs> Everybody got quiet when I said Bernie was boring to watch talk. He was. He was very meandering and he was very he did not hold the room very well. I just don't have an opinion on it. <laughs> yeah, that that's not why we got quiet. <laughs> I just didn't know what to respond to that because I just made a totally and, different. Yeah, point. I mean like, all right. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. It, it, it was a very clear way of holding your fingers that, yeah, I don't know. You, you know what okay, I'm talking I also about. Made, I also made a very clear point about how it's the systems we designed around us that we could put faith in. We put faith in Bitcoin, not because we have to trust someone, but precisely because we know we don't have to trust But someone. isn't like the idea of Satoshi Nakamoto just so like religious based in its own way? Like, isn't no, that, isn't that mythic- like, I understand, obviously it's open source. Like I get what Bitcoin is, but like, 
that's part of my like idea for this entire episode is like what like people most have people can't do what this process is. And there is a lot of trust that goes into Bitcoin. Like and there's a lot of people of that have told me that I can trust. There's a lot of people way more qualified than me that have tried to find flaws that haven't. But that's still there, there's still trust. And I, I can form that trust for certain reasons. But that trust still exists. Uh, people definitely uh, incorrectly look at Satoshi as a almost a religious figure. Um, the, the Bitcoin Cash community hangs their head on this a lot where they say we are Satoshi's true vision. Right. And it's and, and that's why they keep saying that they're the real Bitcoin instead of accepting, you know, OK, we're not Bitcoin. The fork didn't work, but we have this project here that could be good as long as we stop pretending to be the real Bitcoin. But like the the way they hang their hat on that is this is our God. This is what he said. And now we're interpreting his words correctly from the white paper or the Bible. You can call that the crypto Bible. And they're. There, we're interpreting the words correctly, so our version of this Bible is correct, and you need to go with us because we're doing it right based on Satoshi's vision. When that, his vision wasn't really follow my word, my word is the my word is the Lord, my word is bond or whatever. His vision was this: I want this to be controlled by the people, not me. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the only. That's the only comment I would add, not in defense or whatever. I definitely agree that Satoshi's taking on a mythical status and that people, and it will continue to be that way. I'm sure a lot of the people in the Bitcoin Cash community would say, well, I'm not saying that we're following Satoshi's word because Satoshi's word is the word of God as much as we're following the vision of decentralization. We're following the vision of, hey, let's have people power. Um, that's what some of them would say, but ultimately... Both of your points is well taken, which is ultimately this is about like how much faith is put into one particular system, how much people accept one currency or another. Like they're basically the exact same code, very similar, right? Like hard to tell apart, but they're obviously very different in value and community and followers. So it does take a unique thing. What was the forum that Satoshi and the others were like famous for posting on? Was it Bitcoin Talk? Was that the one where they were? Yeah, Bitcoin Talk has been the biggest one for the longest time. I assume that's where Satoshi originally posted, but it might have been something to well, do with look, cypherpunks. Like just an email thread. It either way, either way, I, I just had this funny vision of of Craig Wright like paying some hackers to try to like get the login information for that account <laughs> on Bitcoin Talk. He's like, I need to be God. Please make it happen. Yeah, what religious figure is Craig Wright? If we can like, I, I, I mean, I'm really mostly only familiar with the figures well enough, but. Who who like tried to pretend they were Jesus? I feel like somebody did that. Like like a bunch of prophets. <laughs> Most of them got killed. So pick one. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I guess to wrap it up, guys, I got one more story for you. Um, th that is the Catholic Church springing into action in a way. So there was an article called the disruptive technology and organized religion and it's from a journalist that gets to go to an april convention april 2018 that the vatican holds called unite to cure a global healthcare initiative and basically the church invited scientists physicians um uh people who study ethics i don't know how to pronounce that word <laughs> ethicists 
Um, <laughs> and then obviously some of the faith leaders and government officials, business pe- people, philanthropists, whatever. They got together. They were talking about healthcare technology such as health expansion or you know eradicating disease um they were talking about the cultural religious and social implications of breakthrough technologies vaccines uh, <laughs> oh boy you're setting him off take it easy uh but part of the conversation was you know how do we live better not just longer right and which is where the church really feels that it can have more of a role because I think that this conference was kind of a nod to saying, all right, so now we're really going to be talking about adding decades to human lifespan, maybe adding quality of life, health, preventing disease, curing injury. All of a sudden, (laughs) the question is, how is the quality of that life going to be? I don't know. I wanted your thoughts on it. It, it was. It's interesting to me that the church went out of their way to do this with scientists and technologists. To me, it's a bow of like the church realizes that it has to get these people involved. And if it wants to be taken seriously in the new age, you kind of have to accept the power of science. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. One of the things I find really interesting is that it, it hasn't been that long since like human life expectancy was like 30 years, you know, and, and we've made, so I actually, I got into an argument at the poker table this weekend about the average life expectancy. Like, what do you have? A, do you have a guess on that for men and women? What? Like right now today? Yeah. yeah. How long are, are humans living? Well, oh, average uh, I, I, probably be like in the sixties. What? Life expectancy is the average. That's what you're expected to live to. So I would say women, 87, men, 82, 83. That's so, mu- that's so much higher than I thought. Oh, so what is it? I No, I think it was closer to like 78. And I thought I thought average was like 74 for men, 72 for women, or 72 for women, 74 for women. I don't know. Oh, yeah. That 70, went a little longer. 78.6. Yeah, wow. 78. I, that's way higher than I thought because I assumed like. All the random like infant deaths and all that stuff would really bring Canada the average is 82. down. Yeah, that was another one that came up. Canada's average life expectancy was 82. I just yeah, absolutely we're like, could not believe that. We're like the worst developed nation and we pay twice as much for healthcare. Sorry, just had to throw it in there. Keep moving. Everybody keep Nothing moving. Nothing to see here, people. <laughs> I'm looking something up to, to, to uh, that point. Just because we're talking about living longer uh, and better and all that. Just... The healthcare system in America is definitely fucked up. Um, when Obamacare was instituted, uh, there was a 17% drop off in cardiac arrests, which is not a heart attack, but a cardiac arrest is when your heart actually stops. Uh, and that is, that was completely correlated to people being able to get preventative care because they couldn't afford like actual healthcare. So makes perfect sense to me that a, a city state with with city state, why the fuck did universal I say that? Country yeah. with with uh, universal health care is has a light, longer life expectancy. I mean, it, it's it is cool though to think about as like have have either of you guys watched Altered Carbon Carbon on Netflix? Only it didn't draw me in. I watched the first few, really, but it was one of those sci fi series that I just couldn't get couldn't get excited wow, about. I I would give it another chance because it ended up being pretty good in my opinion. But the interesting thing that they touch on there is they have these characters who are super rich and have lived super long. So it's basically kind of like our system where they're still accumulating wealth and all this stuff. But the life extension 
technology is just insanity, right? Like you can basically get a brand new body if you need to. You could back up your consciousness, that kind of thing. Well, that has some pretty freaking powerful theological implications when you have human beings living 300 years or something Before you like go that. on, the one thing that I thought of, um, the time that we brought up on the show, the idea of um, being able to install learning or, or upload your consciousness to, to a to something and re-download it later, like your, and I think you brought this point up, Kareem, your ability to make money goes through the roof with these types of upgrades. So even if they end up being very costly to acquire, the value of you to make money after certain augmentations that may become available is going to be so much greater. So it's going to be like super interesting to see how some of these things play out. Yeah, there's already a version of that. It's just that it's not like inside our bodies, but kids who have access to a Mac computer or amazing instruments or state-of-the-art sports facilities develop with a better understanding of their fields, are able to acquire more skills because they have better tools. And this would just be an extension of that where those tools are going inside where people are either living longer, that's a tool. If you can use your brain better, that's a tool. If your senses are expanded, that's a tool, right? So for sure, like, and it becomes exponential. It's like, just like money, the more you have, the more you can make, the better What I find interesting though is, is I agree that there is a lot of upside for this idea. There's a lot of upside. There's a lot of great people that are going to go on to do great things with this technology. But like, what does the downsides look like? Like, what do, what does this enable in people that, you know, is going to be corrupt? I don't know. Extreme inequality, in my opinion, is the only down, it's the only true downside. I feel like if this is applied, uh, in a relatively managed way where the majority of people in a society can benefit from our advancements, then I think that we are on a bright path just where crime goes down, life expectancy goes up, you know, probably births go down too, but that's a natural process. But on the other hand, if we have a world where some people have literally hundreds of billions of dollars and get to live to 290, and on the other hand, you have people dying at 50 of preventable disease that we figured out how to cure in the 1950s, then I think that you have the recipe for really, really powerful social unrest. All right. I would like to bring this back to crypto a little bit. Uh, It sounded like we were getting towards the end of the episode. I, I looked up an interesting little infographic. It's in the show notes. And it was the four types of cult control is what the name of this infographic was. So I'm going to kind of. Are we going to play the game EOS or Tron? <laughs> no, just so. I like games. Let's play games. I'm going to skip. Make it a game. I'm going to skip over some of this stuff, I guess. Uh, but Just make it a how game. How the hell am I going to make it a game? Oh, all right. All right. All right. All right. So the. <laughs> I, I should have thought about a better way to make this a game. But like. Okay, why don't Kareem and I each give a response as to who the topic reminds us of? Okay, I mean, I can. There's a lot of stuff here, so I will skip over some of this stuff. But we'll okay, say go. the first thing comes to your mind that's crypto related, uh, and we'll alternate between the two of you with this stuff. So, behavior control. There's not there, the four types of control are behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. There's not a whole lot of behavior control because. The, the way this works, you're not in the same physical location, so it's a little bit tough. But there is one. Kareem, this one's for you. Exploit you financially. Perch. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, we need millions. BitConnect. We, well, uh, well, yeah, BitConnect is a thought, but Verge expl- getting you to donate millions of dollars for the yeah, thing that, that like wasn't exclusive. Yeah. I, I wanted to yell U.S. banks, but I decided not to. <laughs> All right, so here's that. That's a bonus. Information control, Mike. We'll try this with you. Deliberately withhold and distort information. I, I am going to Dan Larimer off the top of my head. I'm trying to think if there's a better one. Roger Ver sounds like a really solid choice there. I think Roger Ver distorting information is pretty tr- pretty accurate. Um, let's see. I, this one, not so much, but I feel like it, I'll say this one. It, this can be for both of you if you think you if you think you see something in the crypto space. Forbid you from speaking with ex members or critics. Oh, our Bitcoin. Yes, there you go. Our our Bitcoin does absolutely ban you and not let you speak with critics. All right, since Kareem answered that, Mike, divide information into insider versus outsider doctrine. Coinbase. <laughs> Coinbase. I'm going to go with... There was a lot of insider trading rumors with like the past year and a half with Coinbase. I'm going to go with Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin cash into insider and outsider doctrine. Okay. All right. That one might have been a little bit of a stretch. Um, you have anybody? No, I, I I don't know why. You know, I probably shouldn't have read that one. Insider versus – I mean, that to, all that kept popping in my head on that one was Scientology where like on the base you're, you think that it's like this good like self-help like thing and then like is it, when you get far enough part you find it out it's like, crazy. Is a part of it like announcements of announcements? Is this like oh. a Tron thing? Like – uh no. Is that outsider information? We're gonna, we're gonna like get to some Actually, of that. it sounds like an MLM is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. The in, the insider and outsider. Uh, also, we're getting to more things that a lot of these are gonna sound like MLMs. <laughs> uh, but we're talking crypto, so keep your MLM shit out of here. All right. This, I, you know what? I wonder if, if if either of you have an example for this. I feel like it's happened, but use information gained in confession sessions against you. Now, nah, all right, we'll skip that one. Generate and use propaganda extensively. Iota. I don't know if I, I can't think of a whole lot of propaganda with Iota. I was actually I was actually going to use Iota because for the previous one because weren't the emails leaked where somebody's like, "Well, I'm going to tell everybody," blah blah blah. Ooh, somebody's getting blasted. Yeah, that, that was nothing came out though, so I guess they figured that. I've out. I've got one for this. <laughs> Bitcoin.com. Oh, yeah. Which is owned by Roger Veer and exclusively promotes, promotes Bitcoin Cash. Did you guys see the Reddit post where it was like, it was a link, it was a tweet that said blockchain or something about how blockchain markets or investors are fleeing or something like that. And then on the bottom right, it looked like an article, but then on the bottom right, it said like promoted by like it was some bank. Like Yes, that, that was funny. Uh, um, all right. So we're moving on to thought control, everybody. Here's one that you're going to be very familiar with in a lot of crypto space. This one's it, it, like you're going to you might both have an exact thing. I hate when he qualifies it like this because I never have an answer. <laughs> they will instill an us versus the world thinking, Everybody which is right. like every coin ever. Right. McAfee. <laughs> Ooh, good. That's, that's a good drop. We needed to make sure he entered this part of the episode somewhere. Um, use loaded language and cliches to stop complex thought. Italic. Oh, ooh, damn! What? <laughs> that was, that damn. Was a joke. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say, no way, no. Uh, Cream got so offended. I did. <laughs> I did. 
<laughs> I love listening to him talk. <laughs> um, Repeat the Justin Sun. Allow only positive thoughts. Or sorry. <laughs> Use loaded language and cliches to stop complex thought. Which Justin Sun probably qualifies where he's doing a lot yeah, of that's like. that's a good one. Grandiose. Uh, allow only positive thoughts was the next one. Sorry, I read. All right. Well, no fud. Go, go, Brent. Wrap it up. Wrap, I'm not done. Hold on. There's more. Creep's got to go to the bathroom. Oh. <laughs> nah, I'm good. All right. I, without making you guys guess, I can read the rest of these that I think are applicable. Uh, use, uh, re- reject rational analysis, critical thinking, and doubt. Doge. <laughs> Doge. You're, well, I guess they do reject it, but they don't give a fuck. Um, no, Doge is the community that cares about each other. They're like the Quakers or something. <laughs> Everybody makes fun of them, but they're fine together. They're having a good time. Inst- love, love me some Doge. Don't worry. Install irrational fears uh, of questioning or leaving the group. Uh, label some thoughts as evil. Uh, promote feelings of guilt, shame, and unworthiness. Uh, that one. Does, never mind. That one doesn't apply. And uh, shower you with praise and attention, which anytime you post an article, they're going to like go crazy. Here's Hold an on a drop. The one about shame and promote feelings of shame and unworthiness, I do feel that that was David Sustenbo's technique whenever I ought to receive criticism. Yes, yes, you're right. Yes. Like, how dare you guys? If you don't understand it, get out of my way. I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm a lyrical genius. Shun you if you disbelieve. And uh, and yeah, so yeah. so there's a lot. And, and I went over like 60, 70% of those. So be very careful with your coin of choice. Stay skeptical. You know, like we're we're the most life, the most interesting man in the world always tells you to stay thirsty. My friends, the crypto basic podcasts will tell you stay skeptical, my brethren, skeptical and don't invest in shit coins. (laughs) Those are the two messages of the crypto basic podcast. (laughs) Sometimes you don't know a shit coin until you're uh, until you already invested in it. But sometimes it's too late. But you got to you got to remain objective if you how do, would, how do you know if you invested in shitcoin look at portfolio red shitcoin get rid of it <laughs> green good buy more oh boy all right so that's it we went a little we went a little crazy there we're gonna wrap this up you want to talk some smack to us say some good things about us join our discord because that is where you can talk to us you can email us at crypto basic podcast at gmail.com or contact us in many other ways. CryptoBasicPodcast.com has them all. And remember, the members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not spiritual advisors. They don't even have a soul. Look for salvation elsewhere, but as always, keep it skeptical. We are Jehovah's Witnesses. And that <laughs> that's it. That is that is it. I, I, I've been Mr. Brent Philbin. I've been here with Mr. Michael Lockie and Mrs. Kareem Baruke. We're signing off. Talk to you some other time. Peace out. Join the Discord.